Welcome to the Divorce Tribe Podcast. My name is Luke Mydell, and I created this weekly podcast to provide support and healing as you navigate the daily trials that accompany divorce. I have been where you are, I have walked that lonely road, and I'm hoping to share what I have learned and what I am still learning through others. We are part of the same tribe, the Divorce Tribe. Welcome to episode 17, A Whole New World, Vacations After Divorce. This week, I'm going to be discussing taking vacations after divorce when you no longer have a spouse that can either help or, for that matter, hinder your vacations. I want to talk about taking vacations by yourself and getting to know yourself better as you heal from your divorce. I also want to talk about taking vacations with your kids or extended family or taking vacations with new girlfriends or new boyfriends. My goal this episode is to show you that vacations can be a liberating thing after divorce, especially when you've never been alone. These things can be fun. They can be just an opportunity to find yourself and to heal from the damage that divorce can do. I've had a lot of experience with vacations both before and after divorce, so I've got a lot to compare it to. But before we delve into that, it's time for story time, where I discuss the current book I'm reading. Now, not many self-help divorce books I've read mention vacations in divorce. They do mention self-care, yoga, massages, but most vacation talk comes from the memoirs that I've already read. And this is actually very helpful in today's episode, because the types of vacations vary drastically between the main memoirs that I've read so far, namely Split by Suzanne Finnamore and Aftermath by Rachel Cusk. Now, I'm going to start off with Rachel Cusk, because she books a horse-riding vacation for her two daughters. They arrive at the house she booked after dark, so it's late, they're tired, and quote, Inside the house is a dank-smelling labyrinth of corridors and fire doors. There's torn carpet underfoot and heaps of junk and old furniture piled against the walls. Instantly, I know that it has found me out. Chaos. Malevolent disorder. End quote. And then finally, when they get to their room, quote, It's quite nice, really, I say to the children, as though we make a habit of staying in places such as this. Yes, they repeat, standing in the doorway with their coats on. It's quite nice, really. And tomorrow you're going riding, I say. They fall silent. They're not sure they want to go riding after all. They're not sure they feel like it, end quote. So she gets her daughter settled for the night, but the next morning the female owner barges into her room and tells her that she has to move downstairs because she received a call about people wanting to rent the room long term the night before. Downstairs turns out to be a short ceiling, dingy basement with no windows. So the author calls the lady, quote, I tell her she needs to find somewhere else to stay immediately. I tell her I wouldn't keep a dog in that basement. I tell her that her conduct has been fraudulent. She needs to rectify the situation by the time my children return from the writing school. She says that we can come and stay in her very own house, a lovely place out in the countryside. She'd like us to. She'd like to make amends. I don't trust her. I say I want to see it first. End quote. And then after a nearly one-hour drive with this lady along country roads, they arrive at a home that she describes basically like a hoarder's home. 
It has broken furniture in the yard, empty wine bottles on the floor. She leads her past a room with an old man and a hospital bed before leaving her in a separate room and driving away. So the author is stuck in this horrible place that she describes like a prison. It just went from bad to horrible to this worse situation. She finally calls a cab to pick her up. She calls the writing school, apologizes profusely, and then leaves with her children. Talk about the worst vacation ever. Can you imagine how those kids felt? Excited, nervous, and then the feeling of disappointment when they first saw where they were staying, and then having to leave after one day. This is an example of a horrible vacation after divorce. It was just her and her kids, horrible place, and instead of resolving the situation, they left. And I had a similar situation happen to me before my divorce. It was a vacation with my kids and my wife. We arrived at the hotel late at night, and as we opened the door to the lobby, we were enveloped by the sharp smell of skunk. Now, this was right after Oregon had legalized recreational marijuana, and it was in the closest city bordering Idaho. So, even though there were smoking and non-smoking rooms, once you make one room smoking, the entire hotel is going to reek of pot. So, did we cancel all our reservations? Did we call it a wash and drive home? No, we just drove another three hours until we found another hotel that didn't reek of pot. Now, yes, during that three-hour drive, I was pulled over, and yes, I did get a horribly expensive ticket from an Oregon cop. But at least things went better the rest of the vacation. So, let's talk about vacations and their purpose. Well, the word vacation comes from the Latin word vacare, which means to be unoccupied, to be empty, to be free. Vacationem leisure, freedom, and then in Old French, vacation, vacancy, vacant position. In Britain, they called it a holiday, which derives from holy day because most so-called vacations were actually pilgrimages where people were traveling to holy sites. Nowadays, vacations can be rugged, glamorous, or somewhere in between. I don't think Motel 6 falls into any categories. Or... Maybe that's what purgatory feels like. Now, for me, vacations have changed through the years, just like Christmas has changed from childhood to adulthood. Vacations as a child were carefree. My parents planned everything, and we were along for the ride. We drove to the East Coast through Kansas tornado country. We visited Washington, D.C. and all of the Smithsonian museums. We visited the White House, the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, we drove to the Oregon coast, to the Black Hills of South Dakota. We drove to San Diego, Tijuana, Mount Rushmore, Devil's Tower. We visited almost every national park in Utah. Getting excited when we convinced my mom that buying snacks from a vending machine did not break the Sabbath. We visited the kitschy wall drug, or sometimes we'd splurge on a hotel with breakfast and an indoor swimming pool. I remember at one place, my parents brought us in groups, sneaking the herd of us past the front desk because the hotel only had a room for three, not a family of seven. And when those vacations were over and we had to go back to school, let me just say there was much weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, when you get older, vacations take on a different feeling. 
You have more responsibilities, you have to plan, but they can be just as fun with or without kids. And then along comes divorce, along comes a parenting agreement, along comes a custody arrangement that changes where holidays and summers are concerned. Now, I have been extremely lucky in some ways, and one of those ways is my co-parenting arrangement with the ex. We had a relatively quick divorce because we didn't fight over anything. That may be because I have full custody, so I didn't feel the need to fight for more time. But our mediator also had said that our divorce was one of the easiest he had done. Most of this was because we didn't really care about possessions. We knew that we could easily figure out who got what DVD, who got what TV or bed, and when it comes to holidays and summers, we just had generic wording in our divorce. So, holidays and summers. Quote, Petitioner and respondent shall fairly share holidays and other important days with the children as they agree. If petitioner and respondent are unable to agree on a fair sharing of holidays and other important days with the children, they shall follow the provisions of Utah Code 30-3-35 with respect to holidays and other important days. Extended parent time during the summer shall be in accordance with another Utah Code, with each parent providing written notice of their intended dates for extended parent time. Said notice shall be provided at least 30 days before the children's summer break begins. So all of that mumbo-jumbo that is very important in some divorces where there's a lot of strife and you need to basically follow things to the letter, for us, it's easy. We just say, hey, I want to take the kids on these days. And even if it's during, you know, my ex's time with the kids, you know, we make arrangements. And when we do go on vacation with the kids, we send pictures. We allow the kids telephone contact with the other parent as they want. I've seen more and more people post on Facebook and realize that this is probably not the norm. You know, just the other day I saw a Facebook post where a mom had texted the ex for three days asking, please let me talk to my kids, before she finally lost her temper and she told the dude that he was being an, um, a, an idiot. He finally responded that it was his uninterrupted parent time and she should be grateful he even let her talk to them the couple of times she had during the week. In these cases, there's no real winner. And so it's tough to say, you know, was the husband in the right? Was the wife in the right? You just don't know without knowing more about the situation. So let's talk about extended parent time. In the Utah Code, it's defined as a period of parent time other than a weekend holiday, religious holiday, and Christmas school vacation that could be up to four consecutive weeks when school isn't in session. Two of those weeks are considered uninterrupted time, which means parent time exercised by one parent without interruption at any time by the presence of the other parent. And the remaining two weeks are subject to parent time for the custodial parent during the weekdays, but not the weekends. And then there are caveats that birthdays take precedence over holidays and extended parent time, except for Mother's Day and Father's Day, etc., etc., etc. So this allows parents to plan longer vacations that don't follow the same schedule as the school year. So for example, my current parenting plan, uh, I have the kids Sunday morning through Wednesday evening, and then my ex has them Wednesday through Thursday, and then we switch off Fridays and Saturdays. Uh, so I get them one Friday and Saturday, and then she gets them the next Friday, Saturday, and, you know, it just goes like that. So it's now more of a 70-30 schedule. But 
during the summer, you know, if one parent wants to take them on a long vacation, this allows them to do that without the hassle of, well, that's during my weekend or that's during my uh, weekdays. So if you do have a cordial relationship and are able to discuss vacations and scheduling without any issues, planning vacations is relatively easy. So how do you navigate the new norm of planning a vacation for you and your kids without a significant other? I'm going to go through a few tips and steps. One, the first thing to do is to plan, plan, plan. Do your research. If Rachel Cusk had done more research, she probably could have chosen a better place to stay than the hoarder's paradise that she found. Now, this isn't always possible. Sometimes rooms are falsely advertised. But in today's connected world, these are few and far between. With Airbnb and Expedia and public reviews, it's much easier to find what you're looking for, whether it's a yurt on the Oregon coast or a villa in the French countryside. Yeah, I know, I'm dreaming. I always have a few backups available for eventualities, even if that backup is inflating a blow-up mattress in the back of my Honda Pilot, something I've done several times, and it's been great. I've taken desert trips where my Honda Pilot was the saving grace of the trip because of that simple, beautiful invention called AC, air conditioning. Number two, if planning a vacation with kids, be aware of the parenting schedule and important dates. Don't plan a vacation over the other parent's Father's Day or the Mother's Day. And here's a note. You are the jerk if you fail to realize when Father's or Mother's Day is and buy plane tickets for you and your kids over that time. If your ex doesn't budge from the parenting schedule, then that's your problem. See tip number one where you should plan, 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 and research, research, research. Someone else posted on Facebook. It was a mother who said, Oh, I planned this trip, I bought plane tickets, and it's over Father's Day. It's a little fishy when the vacation you plan happens to be over a day that the kids are supposed to be with their dad. So, number three, it's common courtesy to just let your ex know where you're going on vacation and when you're going on vacation. The kids belong to your ex, so if anything happens, he or she needs to know where to call, to contact you, how to make arrangements, how to take care of your kids or get them home if something happens to you. You don't need to share an exact breakdown of each location and hotel with the room number, the specific beach you'll be swimming at, but give them an idea of where you'll be and how to get a hold of you in case of emergency. Now, obviously, there are caveats. There are instances where this isn't the case, where someone may have sole custody and the other parent should not be involved. But in most cases, there should be a cordial relationship. Number four, allow your kids to talk to their mom or dad while you have them. If the ex calls to talk to them and it's not midnight or in a movie theater where you should have your phone off, by the way, let your kids talk to the ex. Even better, set up regular calls so that the other parent feels they're able to maintain contact. It's usually in the best interest of your kids to have that contact with both the father and the mother. Number five, don't deliberately use your vacation to hurt your ex. Yes, you're planning a trip to Hawaii over Christmas, which is a horrible time to plan a vacation where your kids won't be able to see the other parent. But don't plan the vacation because you know it'll irk your ex. That's a petty thing to do. 
Six, if you need more time than your parenting schedule allows, see if you can negotiate with your ex. Without the co-parenting relationship that I have with my ex, I wouldn't have been able to take them over Christmas break for so long. I actually did take my kids to Hawaii. She could have said no, and I would have had to alter the vacation to send my kids home earlier than normal. But it was good for the kids to have that time with their grandparents who they hadn't seen in a while. If this just isn't going to happen because you either have a toxic ex or a high-conflict co-parenting relationship, you'll just have to plan vacations according to the court order. And you may need to rely on your divorce tribe to help with kid pickups, transitions, those sorts of things. 7. Speaking of court orders and high-conflict co-parenting, follow it precisely if you don't trust your ex. If you're supposed to provide written notice 30 days before the end of school informing the ex of your summer vacation plans with the kids, don't just talk over the phone, provide written notice, and be sure to provide it at least 30 days in advance because your ex could claim you weren't following court orders and withhold your kids from a vacation that you've planned out. Number eight, vacations planned with your kids are for your kids. Plan activities for them where you get to spend time with them. This is your time to bond and strengthen that relationship. One of the biggest regrets people mention when they're older is not spending more time with her kids when they were living in the same house. So take advantage of that time now. And nine, in the same sense, when your ex plans vacation time with your kids, it is the perfect time to plan your own kid-free vacation. It's perfect because you don't have to give up that precious time with your children that you will miss when they're finally out of the house. So let's move on to solo vacations. They don't adapt movies from all these empowerment memoirs about finding yourself after divorce through travel for no reason. There's Wild from Lost to Found on the Pacific Crest Trail, where the author does a solo hike over 1,100 miles after the death of her mother, her divorce, and then subsequent drug use. During this hike, she finds herself both physically and spiritually. Then there's Eat, Pray, Love, where the divorce protagonist goes to Italy to learn about food, to India to learn about spirituality, and to Indonesia to learn about love. And then finally, we have my favorite, Under the Tuscan Sun, where the divorced author travels to Italy and renovates an old house in Tuscany. In each of these stories, we have the protagonist who finds healing through their travels. Now, if any of you know of any stories like this for guys, let me know. I can't really think of any. They all seem to follow the same formulaic pattern. You know, the jilted husband or boyfriend goes somewhere tropical, meets a cute local. Chemistry is undeniable, but something draws him back to his ex-wife or ex-girlfriend because she realizes she made a major mistake, and then he eventually realizes he's better than that, and he and the local ride off under the sunset like Indiana Jones in The Last Crusade. Okay, crappy reference, but I'll take any chance I can get to reference Indiana Jones, so eat it. Now, I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast that the three memoirs I have finished each had a different type of travel experience. We've already discussed the horrible experience that Rachel Cusk had with her two kids. Now I'm going to move on to Suzanne Finnemore. She went on a solo trip to Paris. I'm probably biased about this one because I went to Paris for my 15th anniversary, and my marriage was a little over, slightly over 15 years long. So that was at the very end. Now, in spite of what I learned after my vacation to Paris, I enjoyed it fully. It was one of the best trips I've taken in a long time. 
and in Suzanne Finnemore's memoir Split, she devotes several sections to this vacation. She starts out, quote, After 18 months and one divorce, something is bent within me that must be straightened in Paris. At the U.S. airport, I think, what am I out to prove, achieve? This is crazy me going there. I am a single mother now, yet there seems a debt I must pay myself. Paris has no place for fear. It doesn't exist unless imported. I have not brought any fear. The near worst that could happen has happened, and this frees me. I just love that description. The near worst that could happen has happened, and this frees me. Divorce is such a horrible thing, but we really can find freedom through it. And one of the ways of finding that freedom is taking a solo trip after your divorce. Suzanne spends her vacation walking 10 to 15 miles a day, eating at cafes and reading. She visits the Picasso Museum and the Louvre. The Statue of Victoire de Samothrace transfixes me. Winged victory. No head. A woman with wings, shoulders held back and high, and what looks like a sarong flowing all about her. This says it all. She is my talisman. And then in the Picasso Museum. Quote, my favorite painting is the weeping woman, the purple slash of color, her jagged broken features, the perfect expression of kinetic despair. I'm glad this is no longer I, but it seems we nod infinitesimally at each other in silent recognition. These two descriptions of specific works of art in two separate locations provide a window into what she had gone through. It provided new meaning to the works of art. For the winged victory, she saw herself broken, yet with wings, shoulders held back and high. Despite the damage, she is strong and moving forward, with more potential than she had when she thought she was whole. And then in The Weeping Woman, she sees a past self, a self that was despairing with jagged broken features, and she sees that she is healed. She is no longer the weeping woman, Yet she is able to connect with this woman who is weeping, who is still in despair because they both experienced, quote, the near worst that could happen, end quote, and it set the author free. So plan that solo trip. This might be outside of your comfort zone, but that's the point. Many of you have experienced the near worst that could happen, so there is nothing to fear. And it doesn't need to be a solo trip to Paris. That is probably out of the budget for many people. It might be a backpacking trip or a solo visit to Yosemite National Park. Maybe it's a drive to the Oregon coast where you can sit and listen to the waves crash upon the rocks and dream of simpler days when The Goonies was your favorite movie and the possibility of finding a trove of pirate treasure was not outside the realm of reality. Vacations are amazing for your mental health. When I look at jobs, one of the big factors and benefits I look at are how many paid vacation days I get. In France, workers are guaranteed 30 paid vacation days each year, and the EU mandates at least 20 paid vacation days per year. That's a minimum of a month in the EU, with French workers getting a month and a half. In the US, there is no mandated minimum. It can be zero. But even if it is zero, we still need those mental health breaks and a solo vacation after divorce can be a big one. And if you can't fathom a solo vacation, maybe take one with a best friend, which can provide that moral support and that strength. So what tips would I suggest for this vacation? 
it'll certainly be different from the family vacations you're used to. For one thing, you won't plan the same activities, and you should actually leave some time unplanned. Much of this will depend on what you're into. If you're adventurous, maybe it's hiking or signing up for a tour, going snorkeling, deep sea fishing. If you just want to relax, maybe it's reserving an entire day at the spa or going to a museum. When I did go to Paris, I spent an entire day at the Louvre, and like Suzanne Finnemore, I loved the Victoire de Samothrace, that winged victory statue. That's an infinitesimal amount of the art and artifacts in the Louvre. You could spend weeks enjoying that building. So this is your chance to plan some things that you would really enjoy doing. If you're a cook, sign up for a French cooking class. If you enjoy Broadway musicals, see if there's a French equivalent playing while you're there. Number two, bring a good book and your divorce journal. Suzanne brought a book with her, and she would read at the cafes. When I used to go on solo work trips, I'd bring a good book. I'd find a nice sit-down sushi restaurant or a Brazilian steakhouse, and I'd just enjoy sitting there, reading and eating in solitude. Number three, remember that even though you're on vacation, this is a great time to continue practicing healthy habits, like exercising, waking up early, getting plenty of good sleep. Once again, on my solo work trips, they were usually in California, which was an hour behind where I live. So I would keep the same sleep schedule that I had at my house, which meant I was waking up before dawn. These were some of the most satisfying mornings I had. I remember going on one jog from my hotel to a nature preserve and just jogging through these trails for a couple hours and then heading back to the hotel for breakfast before heading into work. And then on other mornings, I would drive to the coast. I found this secluded beach that was in a small harbor, so there weren't big waves, and I would swim laps back and forth in this little cove. This was when I was training for a triathlon, so the open water swims were a big help. So even though I was eating just a ton of good food every day, sushi, Brazilian steakhouse, I was really staying active so that I didn't feel like a fat slob. Um, number four, this is a chance to reevaluate your life and what brings meaning to it. It's a chance to discover your independence and find joy in being alone. During those unplanned moments when it's just you and your thoughts, review your goals in your divorce journal. Decide whether they need to be updated or changed. Once again, see if you are on track and have a plan for how to meet these goals. Number five, be open to meeting new people. In Under the Tuscan Sun, Wild, and Eat, Pray, Love, a big part of their transformative experience was the relationships they made and the people that they met along the way. I'm not saying go out to find someone to date. I mean, you can go on dates if you want, but I'm more talking about putting yourself out there and just finding friends. This one is a little more difficult for me because I have a hard time putting myself out there. I'm an ambivert. It's a cross between an extrovert and an introvert. In some situations, I'm very outgoing and sociable, and in other situations, I prefer to sit back and just enjoy my solitude. And I really treasure that solitude when I'm on a solo vacation. But I know that this is something I need to work on to become a more fulfilled individual. Number six, be open to enjoying time alone, like I just said. Seven, be safe. Don't get drunk. Be wary of dangerous situations. If your gut is telling you to get the heck out of a certain situation or area, listen to it. 
This will be a lot harder to do if you're intoxicated. So even though you're on a solo trip, make sure that you are safe, that if you do decide to imbibe, imbibe in a hotel room, uh, don't imbibe in a bar where you could get yourself in a dangerous situation. And then eight, last of all, have fun. Enjoy yourself. Do what you want to do. Don't worry if you have to make last-minute changes to your plans. That's the beauty of traveling alone. You only have to worry about yourself. If you want to sit in the hotel room and watch Pawn Stars all day, go ahead and do it. It's your vacation. You can do what you want. My first solo quote-unquote vacation was when I was somewhere between the ages of 10 and 13. I got in a fight with my mom and I decided to show her what's up. So I packed up a backpacking backpack with a sleeping bag, a mat, I had a can of soup, matches, a spoon, knife, and I left that night. And I walked about two to three miles over the freeway, over the overpass, and up to a hiking trail I had been on in Scouts. I then hiked up the trail. This was at night. There were some high school kids having a raging party on the other side of the canyon as I hiked by. I eventually came to a meadow where I laid out my sleeping bag and mat and I went to sleep. The next morning, I realized I hadn't brought a can opener, so I cut a little triangle in the top of the can and I tried sucking cold soup out of the hole. It was nasty. <laughs> but as I sat there with the sun slowly rising above me, looking out over the valley as the shadow of the mountain disappeared, I felt at peace. I felt joy. My whole purpose going on this hike was to get back at my parents. But in some strange twist of fate, I had a very spiritual experience watching the light slowly bathe the valley. Eventually, I packed up my bag and I headed back down the mountain and through the city. I had to kind of go behind a few buildings when a police cruiser drove by but I made it back around 11 a.m. Sunday morning. I expected commotion when I walked in the door, but no one saw me. I dropped off my bag and went upstairs, and lo and behold, my parents didn't even know I was gone. So what did this first solo vacation teach me? Well, it obviously didn't have the impact on my parents that I thought it did, so I never, quote-unquote, ran away again. But what it did do was give me an amazing feeling of independence and a confidence in being alone that I wouldn't have gotten otherwise. It was a very spiritual experience to wake up in the morning by myself and to watch the sun bathe the valley. Now, the third type of divorce is the type that Theo Pauline Nestor went on after hers. For her, it was different than Rachel Cusk's vacation with her kids and Suzanne Finnemore's solo vacation to Paris. Theo Pauline Nestor traveled to Canada to visit an old boyfriend she had been chatting with after a divorce. After the initial awkwardness of meeting someone you haven't seen in decades, they spent a few days just shacked up together. And at the end of the vacation, as she leaves, quote, I travel with the foggy cheer of someone newly in love and with the innocence of someone who has no notion of how tedious this trip would be as a regular commute, end quote. So unlike the previous vacations I mentioned, she takes this one to visit an old flame. So this is the third type of post-divorce vacation. We have kids, we have solo vacations, and then vacations with new loves. Now there's also vacations with family, with friends, and then combinations of all of those. But vacations with new flames, I have to say these are fun, 
They're exciting. They can also be a bit nerve-wracking, but they are a great opportunity to learn more about someone you're dating. Now, this is actually one of the key things that I do when I start dating someone seriously. Ask them if they want to take a weekend trip somewhere. It's much harder to hide annoyances or incompatibilities when you're trekking up the side of a mountain, freezing in a small tent, or caught in horrible freeway traffic after an eight-hour drive. It's also an opportunity to really get to know someone on a more personal basis. Before I was married and I would date someone exclusively, we would spend hours together talking and hanging out with friends and a lot of making out, I might add. And this would happen every day. Post-divorce, as a father with my kids, a lot of the time, it takes so much longer to make those deep connections because I really can go on a date a week, maybe two, and that's about it. So it takes so much longer to make those deep connections. And a weekend trip where you get to spend a lot of that time together like you would have before you were married, before you had kids, it's just a great way to vet those things and to kind of build those connections. So, to summarize, if you're planning a trip with kids, one, plan, 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 research, research, research. Two, be aware of the parenting schedule and important dates. Three, let your ex know where and when you're going and provide a way for them to contact you. Four, allow your kids to talk to their mom or dad. Five, don't use vacation to hurt your ex. Six, try to co-parent well so you can negotiate vacations without it being a battle. Seven, in high-conflict cases, follow the court orders exactly. Eight, plan activities for your kids and spend time with your kids. And nine, plan solo vacations when your ex takes the kids on vacation so you don't give up time with them. And for solo vacations, one, plan to do what you want to do. This is your time to shine. You don't have to cater to someone else's needs. Two, bring a good book and your divorce journal. Three, continue practicing healthy habits. Four, reevaluate your life and what brings meaning to it. Five, be open to meeting new people. Six, be open to enjoying time alone. Seven, be safe. Don't get drunk in a potentially dangerous situation. And eight, enjoy yourself. And then finally, with vacations with a new flame, this is really an opportunity to just get to know someone on a deeper level, to have fun, to kind of accelerate that connection that you don't get during the week when you have your kids all the time. Now, the next episode in a couple weeks will be about Christmas and the joys that come along with that and the pains that first Christmas after divorce. Thank you for joining me today. If you found this podcast helpful, please like and subscribe, leave a review, and share it with others who could use support and healing. Visit thedivorcetribe.com for more resources to help you through your divorce, and follow me at The Divorce Tribe on Instagram to be notified when new episodes and content are released. Remember, you are not alone. We are part of the same tribe, the Divorce Tribe. Until next time.